Welcome, screensavers. I'm Michael Gallant. I'm Matt Sturdivant. I'm Tyler Sutkus. Together, we host the Silver Screensavers podcast, a show about the world of cinema and a celebration of our love of movies. Tonight, we have a double review. We will be discussing Edgar Wright's new movie, Last Night in Soho, along with Scott Cooper's new movie, Antlers. But first, Matt, what have you been watching this week? I've been watching a couple different things. I started this series on Netflix. It's called Inside Job. It's an animated series from... uh, Oh, shoot. I forgot the creator's name, but... Alex Hirsch is involved of Gravity Falls fame. Ah. And it's got kind of like a similar animation style. It's almost like part Gravity Falls, part Rick and Morty as far as like the animation style. Um, Basically take... It's like a workplace, animated workplace comedy takes place in this like... It's basically like the deep state agency. They do the bidding of the New World Order. Um, actually, let me look up my notes on this because I did write some stuff about this because I wanted to actually note some things. So give me one second. I'm a big Gravity Falls fan. I When I first saw that show, I thought it was hilarious. Oh, yeah. Gravity Falls is amazing. Um... Where is it? There it is. Okay. So, I only watched a couple episodes so far, but the first episode involves a plot where they are basically working on swapping out the president with uh, an AI android, and things go awry, Terminator style, and they, you know, shenanigans ensue, and uh, eventually they end up taking down the robot, but... um, so there's that. And then the second one involves, to, to put it simply, it involves a mob of JFK clones. And they have a character named Grassy Noel Atkinson who, <laughs> who basically they enlist to kill all the JFK clones. Who is also, and the, Grassy Noel Atkinson is actually voiced by Alex Hirsch, so that's pretty cool. Too soon, man. Um, it also <laughs> has Lizzie Hat. <laughs> Go Go ahead. Uh, it's never too soon. What are we talking about? JFK Jr. showed up in Texas today. Didn't you hear about that? Uh, I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but I digress. Um, it also So it also has Lizzie Kaplan. It has Christian Slater. Um, I should have wrote these down. My boy Christian Slater, he's not getting enough work lately, so I'm, I'm happy for him. Well, you're his agent, so why don't you get it together? <laughs> sure, I'm a very bad agent. <laughs> he does he does just fine at this, though. He um, It also has Clark Duke and Tisha Campbell, John DiMaggio, because what quirky animated series doesn't have John DiMaggio doing some kind of voice Wait, role? Just we're, real quick, we don't have to get into it. Jake the Dog or Bender? Bender. Bender. I like both. I'm torn. Much much love to Jake the Dog in Adventure Time. Time is classic, but I gotta go with Bender. Fair enough. Um and then I've also been wa- I also went back and watched two thousand one A Space Odyssey. Awesome. Which was a visual masterpiece that still has yet to be matched to this day, in my opinion. Um I still can't believe that movie came out in 1968 because the it just looks it looks so good for its time. And I just want to shout out we are only 101 days out from Michael Bay's Ambulance. Yeah, countdown. Woo! 
<laughs> Where does and that take place now? Louisiana. Um, unclear. Louisiana, <laughs> yeah. LA. LA. <laughs> All right. Tyler, That's what have me. you been watching? Uh, not much this week. I did my yearly watch of uh, Die Hard because hol- the holiday season doesn't start until you watch Die Hard. So, post Halloween watch. Do you really consider that a Christmas movie? A hundred percent, yes. Hmm. Right, but interesting. through and through. Uh, we, I think we can have that debate another time. <laughs> yeah, it's getting <laughs> close uh, to the I holidays. think we, we, we have an inaccuracy on the countdown for ambulance. It's, it's you're coming. the one that... I know. Like, well, I thought it was me. coming out on the 11th, so we'll just add seven days. 108 days were away. No! I know. Uh, <laughs> Can't make it now. You're killing me, Smalls. Yeah. It's 108 days, but that's okay. I've been watching this week. I watched uh, Friday the 13th Part 3, which is... I enjoy those movies. I'm not really sure why, um, but they're always fun. The main takeaway of this is that I was watching it you know, on my home TV, and there are a lot of, like, obvious 80s 3D effects. This was a 3D movie, and so there's a lot of, like, sticking things directly towards the camera. And I just have to ask, do you guys enjoy 3D movies? I don't. I don't like the gimmicky 3D where it's, like, stuff poking out at you. But I do enjoy, like, a lot of, like, the real D 3D stuff that, like, Disney does. Um, because instead of like having stuff like, Oh, a spooky <laughs> hand sticking out at you or a knife or machete in, in uh Friday the 13th case. But I, I, I think it adds a nice amount of depth to the, to the movie scenes, to some of the scenes. And I mean, certain movies use it to various degrees of effect and effectiveness, but for the most part, I, I'm here for it. If it, I mean, if, if it fits into the schedule, I'm not going to go out of my way and go see a movie at an inopportune time just because it's in 3D versus regular XD or regular digital. But I do think it has a nice layer of depth to some of these scenes, especially in action movies. Yeah, it can be cool. I mean, I feel like it's a one time, the first time you go, it's like, oh my God, the shark is coming right at me. And then it's kind of over. And then you go, oh, the shark isn't really coming at me. And neither <laughs> yeah. is the spaceship or octopus. But, but, um, Wait, was it... I just have one, one point. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> Um, so the last one we saw, well, I saw was Black Widow. Yeah, I was going to say that. And, you know, five minutes in, I forgot it was in 3D. Well, that's because the, the we we were not given our 3D glasses when we walked up I, I, in the theater. Yeah, that's right. true. And I had to, but like, sprint the... out to get them, and then I, like, threw them at you guys as I was running that's... back in. Yeah, you're a trooper for that, Mike. Well, I was... We were sitting there, we're like, oh, is this 3D? Because we could see, like, the blurry trailers. And we're like, is this just a really discolored trailer? Or do we need the third dimension? All right, so we've come to it now. We have a, well, a teaser trailer um, for everybody's favorite astronaut, Buzz Lightyear, for the upcoming Pixar movie Lightyear. It's not a full trailer yet, but it's just a teaser uh, and I guess I'll start by asking, how PO'd is Tim Allen? He heard that there was going to be a full Lightyear movie, and he's like, all right, 20 million, here I come. Well, first of all, it's not Buzz Lightyear the toy. No, it's you're Buzz right. It's Buzz Lightyear Please the explain. fictional astronaut. Okay, so it's Buzz Lightyear the fictional astronaut in the Toy Story universe that the toy was based on. 
Yeah. Well, you're telling me you're telling me they gave a different voice to the recorded toy lines than, than yeah, the, than the, the real astronaut. <laughs> well, yeah, is well, he? He's a movie character, right? In the thing, he's not real in the Toy Story universe. It's a movie from Toy Story. I thought it? that's I thought that's where they were going with it, and that he was a real astronaut that they based the toy on. Yeah, that's what I think. I think it's a movie in that universe that the Buzz Lightyear toy is based on. I'm not sure. I think Chris Evans's tweet like implied that he was real. I could oh, be wrong, cause... but I feel like he implied that he was a real person. I think the producer did a thing where he's like, there's a movie that the character's based on, and we decided oh, to make then. that movie. Oh, okay. Well, you did That's your research. I think the producer I, said. I guess it's well, a movie then. Yeah. <laughs> so I was... Tyler looked into this much more than I did, and I'm surprised. No, I literally just saw this tweet, or like a tweet talking about it when it came out. So I could be I could be wrong. You guys could be right. This is the most confusing movie I mean, ever. I guess it makes sense that if they had a Neil Armstrong... Not, then you know if they had a Neil Armstrong action figure, you know Ryan Gosling would be the voice of it. <laughs> yeah. He's the first man for the job. Yeah. No, that that is a good point though. They're not going to have the Neil Armstrong doing voices for his own toys. If you think about it, he's a very busy man. But if 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 Buzz Lightyear is a real astronaut, is I was, I was just going to ask the same exact question: Is there a real Zerg? And is he gonna is he gonna throw the emperor down into the depths at the end? <laughs> it turns out Buzz is his son, and they have to have he has to save him from the evil overlord. No, it's his grandson. His parents oh, were stop. nothing because we're, we're they not had to be. Well, what we we don't see a ton in this actual teaser trailer. We just kind of get some some intergalactic adventures, and then at the end, the tease of the suit, and they don't even re- finish the phrase to infinity and beyond. Yes, yeah, that, that was an odd thing. <laughs> well, that's what they did with Avengers too, though. At the end of Age of Ultron, when he's like Avengers, and then he stops. So. Yeah, but 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 now we get Eternals. We, we'll assembly. talk about that in a minute. Don't <laughs> don't you worry. I'm, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm reserving my judgment until we see it. Okay, another kind of maybe sparse trailer that we got from the Disney Corporation, the Book of Boba Fett. Uh, what did you guys think of this one? This is it going to be a series on Disney Plus, similar to The Mandalorian? I um, I mean, I love Star Wars, and I love Marvel, and I love the stuff that Disney has been doing with these limited series. Um, the trailer honestly didn't have me as hyped as I would have liked. I agree. It, I mean, I'll end up watching it. We might even cover it on the pod, um, if you guys want to. But um, I, I w- I'm gonna have to see it to make a better opinion because the trailer was a little underwhelming for me. It was more political than I expected it to be, which I think is fine. Um. But at the same time, I don't know if everyone's watching for Boba Fett's diplomatic skills for the whole thing. We're getting uh, Star Wars prequel vibes again with all the politics. <laughs> yeah. I am the Senate. <laughs> I hope Boba says that. And I'll be like, yeah, so. I hope he just starts speaking like Jabba the Hutt like halfway through like... <laughs> 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 
No, they made it very clear this is Jabba. a post-Jabba world. He's leading with I'm respect. I'm not <laughs> Not fear. Uh, is this to assume that Boba Fett survived the pit? Is that what this is presupposing? Well, you, you saw Mandalorian Season 2, right? No. Oh, well, yeah, so... <laughs> okay. All right, yes. I'll just trust you then. Yes. <laughs> okay, great. All right, another, uh, I guess second season of what we thought was going to be a limited series is tiger king 2 matt i'll just let you speak to this one okay tiger king is such a wild wild thing um i i'm i rewatched the trailer again right before we got on on this recording and i'm honestly i'm not as hyped for it as i think netflix would like me to be i think tiger king one it was a weird, wild story. It was kind of crazy, but I also think I was kind of getting delirious from quarantine, so I was just about entertained by anything that that they threw at us. And I'm sure if I were to go back and watch Tiger King season one again, I probably would not finish it. Mm. Um, it's a wild ride, but I think it just kind of capitalized on the niche of the um, the fact that everybody was home and that was like the thing that was like the meme of the day. So I don't know how a sequel is necessarily going to hit the same way. And um, I don't know if you guys heard too, Carol Baskin is already suing Netflix about season two based on the trailer. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like she hasn't even seen the whole thing. I don't know how much of it she's seen. I didn't really read oh. too much into what the lawsuit states, but I'm sure considering how many people really turned on her after t season one i wouldn't be surprised if i wouldn't if she wasn't too happy yeah she got a dancing with the stars bit out of it though i mean her star was nothing until that so, i mean know. i mean true but i don't know these people they that watch these series sometimes people take it too seriously and i, I mean i've been hearing she's been getting like death threats and stuff like that's just the common audience now. It's like anything they don't like, they're like, I'm going to send death threats to this person. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous what, is, what people will yeah. just send this for. <laughs> like, people people were sending death threats to The Last of Us actor because her character killed their character in the game. <laughs> Come on. Ah, that's right. That, yeah. That was 2020, man. 2020 we, was a... That needs to stop. That needs to stop. Just stop harassing actors. Honestly, this pod says stop harassing actors, and we it's need ridiculous. it. Ridiculous. Use the internet responsibly. Did you guys watch the trailer for The Unforgivable? I did. What I did, did you think? This is a, so. I was. This is about. Um, this is Sandra Bullock starring in a move, new movie. It is released from prison into a society that won't forgive her past. A woman seeks redemption by searching for the sister she left behind. That is from Google. Uh, we haven't seen Sandra Bullock in a movie since 2018's Bird Box. You guys remember Bird Box? Wow, that seems like a lifetime wow. ago. <laughs> she hasn't been anything. She hasn't been in anything that's since then. No like... major film. Wow. Yeah. I uh, I thought that movie was so overhyped like it was the number one thing on the internet and then i watched it and i went okay i couldn't even finish it i was so bored i don't well, think it was that bad but i just uh, I didn't I think it, it was boring. that great 
Well, that, well that, that's kind of what Tiger King was, too, not to circle back too much, but that's kind of the – Tiger King was the same deal. Like, it was the thing for a minute, but then it kind of fell into the ether of, like, long-forgotten internet memes. I I enjoyed it from from what I remember of it. But mm. well, I, as, for the, as for the new one, though, I think uh, – I think it looks promising enough. Yeah, it does. It looks to be some some. It's definitely a. I don't want to say a traditional trailer, but you know, it starts with premise and then it kind of builds to actors screaming at each other at certain points. Um, but I'm definitely interested. Um, this this drops very soon uh, on Netflix, so I, I didn't know about this until a couple of days ago. Um, but good good to see Sandra Bullock again. Uh, we'll see her in the unforgivable and then we'll see her twice next year in the lost city of d and bullet train so if you're into sandra bullock you got a couple of good years ahead of you (laughs) all right so i got a couple more movie news items uh reportedly ana de armas is going to lead a john wick spinoff i believe it's currently called ballerina are you guys into this 165 percent that's it it's more than that but you know that's a conservative estimate okay but that that headline was literally like written to just just trigger my brain into like pure unadulterated happiness so (laughs) yes (laughs) that's good that's good um i'm definitely here for it too i am also a big de armas fan um I wonder how much Keanu's involvement is going to be with that movie, though, or that series. Do they say if it, which one it is? I haven't heard. Is it? Is that going to impact your enjoyment of it? I mean, no, but it'd be, it'd be just a good thing to know. So I, I have to. This begs the question, because every action film since John Wick came out is compared to John Wick. Yeah. It's the oh, it's the it's John Wick with seahorses and you're like okay <laughs> yeah well you know what used to be that movie is die hard everything yeah. is die hard you're right die so, hard like, on a sub what is it that makes the john wick franchise like unique or particularly enjoyable for you guys i, I just think the stylized action it, it's really cool like I, I really love the shootouts and stuff personally with how they that that's done yeah the, the fight choreography in there is pretty top-notch um I like that the premise is not too simple, but it's not overly complicated either. It's easy enough to follow, in my opinion. Yeah, I, it just had me wondering, because there's no denying Dearmas's star power, especially right now. Um, she's always enjoyable, but I'm just I'm curious if they're going to be able to transfer whatever whatever magic they have with the John Wick into a spinoff sort of thing, or if it's just going to seem like kind of another action movie. I'm not sure. Maybe it'll just be all her deleted scenes from No Time to Die. Yeah, that they definitely cut out. <laughs> what a, what an exit! They're just like, all right, dap it up, all right? Like <laughs> Stay longer good. next time. <laughs> you get a you get an A on your report card. Good job. <laughs> all right, and then oh, lastly, I uh, this has me so excited. And this is, uh, it's going to sound... It's such a weird thing to be excited about. <laughs> well, I'll tell you why I'm excited. Here's what I'm excited about. And that is the uh, quote-unquote controversy slash mixed reviews slash uh, dropping Rotten Tomato score of Eternals. Now, I say this not because 
I'm against Marvel or I'm, I am against Eternals. Um, I root for those things. I think they're really cool that they've created this cinematic universe. Um, I'm not always the biggest fan of all the films, but I, I think it's it's awesome that, that it's created this super fandom that makes people happy. I think that's great. I guess I'm just excited, one, to see the movie just so I know what everyone is so mixed about, and two, I'm excited to see a Marvel movie where I don't just go, yeah, that was good. <laughs> I agree. I, that is why I'm excited. They definitely do for one. It's just like, what the hell is this? I, I can't remember where I read it, but one quote I read um, was saying that this is the Marvel movie for people who say who don't they don't like Marvel movies. And that makes me a little concerned because I love Marvel movies. So I don't know if I'm going to like it or not. I mean, I don't... I guess people dislike them for different reasons, so I don't know if that's really going to be a catch-all for the audience. I, I'm just wondering if Chloe Zhao is going to be able to win you over after you hated Nomadland, last year's Best Picture winner. I, I didn't hate Nomadland. I just think that they were reaching too close to the sun at that Oscar, which, granted, they did. Evidently, the risk did pay off. Um but I, we can, that's a, that's a topic for another day, but basically, yeah, I, I could do a I'm, whole like sub episode on why I didn't like Nomadland, but I mean, Francis McDormand <laughs> does poo in a bucket in Nomadland. <laughs> it's a little deviation from Oscar. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Not that that's the sole qualification, but that's the first thing that I thought of. <laughs> well, maybe she'll show up in Eternals and do the same thing and that'll get an Oscar too. Yeah, they'll just they'll intercut the Eternals at the most climactic scene with her. You know, what, in the you know what I find interesting about Eternals, and like this is now Mar what Marvel's painted themselves into the corner here. Me and Matt were talking about this yesterday. Mm -hmm. They now have to come up with a, an excuse for every single person they introduce of why they didn't help fight Thanos. Oh <laughs> like, yeah, that's true. It's gotta be like in every backstory of like, oh you know, just just had work that day. <laughs> True. Yeah, the Deviants prospect really interests me. They can only fight Deviants. I, I, I won't talk about it until I've seen the movie. See, We're doing it next week, so stay tuned for that. Um, but mm -hmm. I am fascinated by, by the response to this. All right, we are going to move now to our review of Last Night in Soho. This is directed by Edgar Wright and written by Edgar Wright and Christy Wilson-Cairns, who previously wrote uh, 1917, which was a, a Best Picture contender a couple of years ago. And here it is from Google. Last Night in Soho is about an aspiring fashion designer who was mysteriously able to enter the 1960s, uh, where she encounters a dazzling wannabe singer. However, the glamour is not all it appears to be, and the dreams of the past start to crack and splinter into something far darker. How do you guys feel about Edgar Wright, and how did you feel about Last Night in Soho? Um, so, I've only seen a handful of other Edgar Wright projects. I mean, he did Scott Pilgrim, right? So, yep. Scott Pilgrim is a classic. I love it. Um, well, did he do The World's End, too? He so, did, yep. That's yeah. part of the trilogy. I liked that one. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm, I could say I'm a fan of his other work, um, and it's cool to see him kind of change it up a little bit, tackle a different genre of like the thriller horror aspect, the thriller horror genre. Um, I liked, I liked the direction. 
the cinematography, the set pieces were all great. Um, we can delve a little bit into that more once we get into spoiler territory. I thought the plot was mostly engaging. It kept my attention for the runtime, um, even though it did kind of fall apart toward the end. But again, we're not going to spoil it right now. Um, and the acting was top notch by pretty much everybody in it. Yeah. And I mean, there was a lot of moving parts in it, and really all my dislikes were basically plot related. Which, again, I'm, I can't say much more than that until we get to spoiler territory. I overall, I would still recommend it to anyone interested. Yeah, I, I'm very overall positive on this movie. Um, I would recommend it as well. It was nice to see a psychological thriller in a theater, um, which is super cool. Uh, same thing, the first half of this movie, I was sitting there and I'm like, this is some of the best stuff I've seen all year. This is some of the stuff best stuff that I've seen Edgar Wright do. Um, Thomasin McKenzie, who plays uh, the the young aspiring fashion designer, she's from the country and she moves to London. Within the first half hour of the movie, I, I was like, you could give her best actress right now. Just all the gesticulations and the line deliveries and the facial expressions of what she was doing, how she was trying to be timid but cool. Um, she was sort of uh, scared at the same time. I just thought it was perfect. Uh, and the same stuff, when it, it gets into the initial story of Sandra, who is Anya Taylor-Joy, in another good performance, in the mirror stuff, the past story of the 1960s, I thought that was all incredibly compelling. And then it gets to one moment, and everything after that, I thought just did not really work very well. Um, and I, yeah. I thought this very much fell apart by the end. And... Um, that was, I don't want to say disappointing, but it was just kind of unexpected because I, I enjoyed everything so much up to that point. Very curious to hear what point that was, if it, because I also had a point where I, it kind of lost me. Um, but I'm curious to see at what point you were at, because you say about halfway through, and mine was a little bit later than that. But Tell you what, I wish I had that newspaper dress that she is wearing in the beginning. That true. was maybe the best <laughs> outfit of the whole movie. Very true. Tyler, what did you think of Last Night in Soho? I really enjoyed it, actually. Um, I definitely um, found it enjoyable throughout, even though there were some definitely some missteps towards the end. That, uh, But I, I enjoyed where it went. Um, if, even if it didn't land that great, I, I don't think it, of it as harshly as you do. But... I mean, I thought it was a great movie. Definitely a really strong opening half that kind of faded off a bit, but I definitely recommend it, um, especially yeah. if you like Edgar Wright. I mean, I'm a big fan of his um, the trilogy he did with Simon Pegg. So I love Edgar Wright, although I was not a big Baby Driver fan. So. <laughs> oh, interesting. Can you just quickly, what did you not like about it? I, I, I don't know. I just I feel like I, I was hyped up too much for it and just found it to be kind of a decent. It was fine. I just, I don't know, everyone was acting like it was a masterpiece when I finally saw it, and I was just like, that was fine. Oh, fair enough. Uh, I think the performances, as I mentioned, are, are really stellar in this, not just from Thomas and McKenzie and Anya Taylor-Joy, but Diana Regg, uh, Rita Tushingham, uh, Terrence Stamp, who gives a very solid performance in a role that I really don't understand. Um, mm. he, he is an elderly man um, who approaches ellie when she gets to to london he introduces him to ellie and he goes i make it my business to know everything about the pretty girls down here and i'm like um 
And that when you when you learn about what his actual role is, you question why he would ever introduce himself in that way. That is true. A hundred percent. Like that's I felt like his character was designed just to throw people off and like it was all questionable. <laughs> Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Anything he said just did not fit with who the character is. Yeah, we will get to that. I also want to mention that I believe that was one of Diana Riggs' last performances, and there was a nice little for Diana tagline yes. at the beginning of the movie, and I thought that absolutely. was super sweet. And yeah, she absolutely. she does a good job in this movie. Incredible actually, respect. Um, what's her name? Margaret Nolan's last film too. Oh, was yeah. it? She died. Yeah, she died shortly after filming. Incredible respect for both of them, their performances in their movies and in their entire careers. Uh, We also get Matt Smith in a, I I think, a pretty good role as a um, sort of agent turned pimp. Um, I I feel like this this movie contains a lot of good performances for characters that don't always make total sense. And I mean that for Matt Smith, who kind of has to send has to descend into like this mustache twirling, uh, villainous type, <laughs> and then he's just kind of like he has to be mean for the rest of the movie. <laughs> but and then, points every scene. <laughs> yeah, my uh, so yeah, I I was introduced to Matt Smith because I used to be super into Doctor Who, so whenever I see him in a role now, I I can't unsee him as the Doctor and genuinely like a good character. Yeah. So it's kind of hard for me to see him against typecast like that. Um, I thought he did a good job, though. Uh, but that that sort of precognition to think of him as a as like the Doctor as like a good protagonist type character that's going to make Morbius very interesting too. Coming up in a couple months because he's in that too. Um, and then we have Michael Ajao. Uh, apologies if I mispronounce. In a, he gives a very good performance for a character that I feel very conflicted about. Uh, he plays John, who is who becomes Ellie's very persistent friend, um, and he is a man that's a little too perfect. Way, way too perfect, like yeah. unbelievably so. Yeah, <laughs> just uh, questionable. <laughs> Yes, and I, I, I can't wait to dive into that discussion. We'll get to that in just a minute here. Uh, but a couple of really powerful themes in this movie. Um, one is the sort of intense sexism uh, in, in the period, um, especially because it is this movie sort of about false nostalgia. Ellie is very obsessed with things in the 60s. She mentions it quite a bit that she loves the 60s. Um, and she gets to return there in her dreams or we can debate whether or not they're actually dreams or visions or the past blends with the present um but yeah this false nostalgia of we always think of the good old times as the good old times because our brains kind of filter out all the nasty stuff um but there are a lot of dark things going on and you could hear that especially from people who actually lived back then i think we experienced that a lot um we experience false nostalgia you know we have nostalgia for a time period through which we did not even live Mm -hmm. for instance i do not i'm not really itching for like a movie or show about the mid-2000s like i'm i'm good with that the thing is we have a false nostalgia about every five years and when we're like oh we miss like 2009 when things were great (laughs) yeah we're we're in like the mid-90s false nostalgia phase right now 
Moral of the story is just enjoy your time now. You're alive. <laughs> enjoy being alive. Look at the good things. Um, you know, and then you won't have to experience it again years later. All right, yeah. but I think it's time. So this is a thriller. There's a lot to reveal, so we are going to get into spoilers now for the sort of meat of the discussion. Five, four, three, two, one. Spoiler warning. If you have not seen the following movie, please turn back or accept the consequences. Okay, is there anything you guys are dying to talk about first? I I just want to bring up something real quick. This is kind okay. of pointless, but I just I, I almost laughed at this scene where, she, where the cop, Lindsay, gets hit by the car and she's like, Oh no, Lindsay and it's like, wait, that's not Jack? No, that's Lindsay. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's Lindsay. It's Gabriel. Which Gabriel? My Gabriel. <laughs> For all you malignant fans out there. Uh, yeah, so Ellie uh, gets to London, and as I mentioned before, Terrence Stamp plays this uh, older man who approaches her and goes, I, I know all the business of all the pretty girls down here. Later on, he, as we learn sort of the, the visions in the past, the past uh, Anya Taylor Joy and Anya Taylor Joy's character, uh, Sandra, we learn that she uh, may have been killed. And then Ellie, like, questions Lindsay about it. And he's like, he never mentions once that he's a police officer. <laughs> he's just like, she got what she deserved. That's that's because she thinks it's Jack. She thinks it's the pimp that, that killed her, or that killed right. Sandra. Right, but when she approaches him, and she's like, oh, I, I know what happened to Sandra... And he's like, well, yeah, of course everybody knows. It. He's not like, oh, you're 20 years old. Why do you know about <laughs> the 60-year-old murder? True. Also, who who would respond that way when like someone was like, I know what you did, and they're just like, ah, do you now? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> also, does he know Sandy's alive? What he well, that's he probably hmm. did. That's why he wasn't. That's why he probably said she got what she deserved. Yeah, he probably didn't think she was being accused of murder so, right. that's true but then so, it doesn't make sense then what did he do yeah <laughs> he didn't do anything so well like... we only see him briefly in that one scene where he's like hey you ever think about getting out of here she's like no no wait it, it's it's because he's the undercover cop so he's trying to like get, that's why it's his business because he's trying to get to know all the girls no i get yeah i mean i get that it's just a weird <laughs> you're undercover and you and you say, I, I know all the business of the pretty girls. That's <laughs> undercover. I want to talk about... Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I just don't understand like why... Like I know what you did. What did he think she meant by that? If she th <laughs> thinks he's yeah. alive and his only interaction with her was to be like, oh, you should stop doing this. <laughs> and then that cabbie was like, oh, man. I'm going to get home late now. I... I can't stand in movies that like cut to the car. Like the car didn't see him standing there. <laughs> I always hate that. No, yeah. he's undercover. He's he's tough to detect. <laughs> I want to talk about the mechanics of these visions. So, Ellie has a tough time in her dorm, so she rents her own apartment. Um, and then at night, when she goes to sleep, quote unquote, she suddenly has these visions. She's like in the past, in the sixties. And Tyler, you brought up a great point uh, that I was wondering during the movie is that during the first night, uh, as Ellie is witnessing Anya Taylor-Joy and Matt Smith kissing, he's kissing her on the neck, 
Um, and then Ellie wakes up with a hickey on her neck. And not only did she wake up with a hickey on her neck, but somebody else in the real world pointed out the hickey, which I mm. feel like gave some credence to the idea that these weren't just dreams. Yeah. Well, it also did, like, it started that, like, she was Sandy. Like, she was anything happening and Sandy was her, and then that just yeah. immediately got abandoned. And, like, yes, they were clearly two separate. She was just witnessing these events, which I right. didn't understand why that happened. Yeah, it was a bit convoluted in hindsight. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I, I just kept thinking that I was missing something, but... Yeah, it just it very much switches to her just watching Sandy. Yeah, it just became and also that, like... missing a lot of key pieces of information. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's the thing too. Like, it was not the dream logic just was not consistent. I'm willing to suspend my disbelief with psychological thrillers and all this stuff like that, but this one was just uh, it was a little too inconsistent for me. Yeah, I can and... agree with that. So, uh, Matt, you were wondering about the moment that this switched for me. For me, it was the the almost sex murder vision where uh, Ellie is with John in her room. She's breaking the rules. She's not allowed to have male visitors after 8 p.m. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And this man had a real tough time with his pants, and he's going to have an even harder time <laughs> getting them back on. <laughs> that scene was so goofy. <laughs> but while they're in bed she looks above her and she sees the image of uh sandy and matt smith's character on the bed and it appears as though sandy gets stabbed repeatedly um and is murdered right there so ellie's like screaming uh for for matt smith's character to get off sandy but john thinks that she screamed for him to get off and then uh diana riggs character um comes upstairs she's like oh you better not have a male visitor and this poor john really he he was so nice the whole time and he just he goes to put back on his pants and like did she kick him or did he like slip i think he tripped yeah he tripped on his pants broke the mirror and then he stepped all over the glass not only fell into the mirror like launched like 50 miles per hour into the mirror aggressively this this guy did like a defensive lineman move into that mirror and it shattered and then he has to walk like over broken glass (laughs) to get out yeah Yeah. and that so this this brings us to the john discussion wonderful performance um but the was the John character a little too perfect? Yes, I think detrimentally so. Because, like, I mean, come on, after that scene, who's going to be like, hey, y'all, right? Like, right. Like, True. He yeah. Didn't do anything. She starts screaming, like, murder. He's tripping, falling into mirrors. And then he's going to go in the next day and be like, you good? The next day, it's like nothing happened. He's like, hey, that was weird last night, right. huh? How you could okay? he walk? There was a million pieces of broken glass in his feet. Also, like, he literally stops her from stabbing another student in the face. All right, so the library just like, scene. it's all right. So she's in the library. Um, it was good. To, you know what? That's one thing I loved about this movie. It was good to see somebody who's trying to solve a crime go back to microfilm in the library and look at some articles you haven't seen that since the 90s That's and I, I was here for it it was awesome but then he shows up behind her and he's like oh yeah every single person in our class is here studying and you're like are they 
All of them. Well, that's that explains all the uh, all the ghosts that were there. Why she saw oh, so many that... ghosts. So, yes, she starts to see the ghosts after a certain point. And this happens heavily after she witnesses the quote-unquote murder of Sandy. And I, frankly, did not understand the ghosts. I'm assuming she was just seeing the ghosts. And there were these faceless... These faceless men, um, the Johns, so to speak, of hmm. Sandy, because she it is learned that she was a sex worker. Well, yeah, because she went to go try and fight them, and ended up that's where the whole stabbing the other student came in. Because it wasn't a ghost. It was Chanel or Jocasta, Jocasta. or whatever her name was. <laughs> the most cartoonishly bad care, like, like Disney Channel bad. Oh, she does drugs. <laughs> and just like mean girl and all that stuff and then at the end i don't mean to jump forward too much but she tries to stab her correct yeah and then at the end she's like oh and good for job. ellie she had yeah, a good why fashion did she, face, she faced no consequences yeah. for no. Legitimately scissors right up to her eye yeah we'll, we'll get there but you know who the john character is have you guys seen sleeping with the enemy no no i have not so this is a 1991 thriller. Like, please watch it. Sleeping I, with the I've Enemy that, yeah. is is great. Uh, it's Julia Roberts, who um, is an abused wife who escapes her husband. She moves to a new town, um, and the husband follows her. Patrick Bergen, who is just killing it as the, the abusive husband. Um, but in the new town, Julia Roberts meets uh, Ben Woodward, played by Kevin Anderson. And he is a similar type character. Uh, in that he is just perfect and no matter how much crap he has to go through with this murderous ex-husband he just like never says boo he's just like always there and that was the john character i just i wanted a moment where where john was like you know i think i'm just gonna go get a smoothie for like five minutes and then i'm gonna think about if i want to continue with this and yeah, it was never like what 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 is going on here? It's yeah. like, are you all right? You good? <laughs> is everything all right? <laughs> you just almost stabbed the other student. You good? <laughs> yeah, and the, that was the icing on the cake was that he just happened to be there at that moment. It was quick enough to grab her arm before the knife went into Jacosta. Scissors. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, the scissors. You yes, it was more of an us style execution. <laughs> yeah, true. But uh, wonderful performance by Michael A. Jow. He he was great. Uh, excuse me. The music in this was really good, as it usually was um, in Edgar Wright films. They kept teasing Downtown by Petula Clark. Um, it annoyed me a little bit because I just wanted to hear the song Love Miss Clark, Love Downtown, and they kept messing with it, which I guess <laughs> makes sense with the false nostalgia theme. Yeah. All right, so the ending. So we learn that I'm assuming Ellie's vision of the murder was false. And what was actually happening is that Diana Riggs' character, the landlady, uh, is actually Sandy. Sandy was never murdered. She is Sandy, and she poisons Ellie so that Ellie can never tell anybody that she killed a bunch of uh johns and by johns i mean men who uh, who pay for sex she and, killed and attempted to kill john <laughs> like it was like it was very sweeney todd like <laughs> the scenes of her just like cutting the throats 
<laughs> yeah, of all of these really men. really odd styling. <laughs> that's true, that's true. Um, and I will say, it was about that point, like right after the twist, once the twist was revealed, that's when it lost me. Like, I was, I was giving it, you know, I was giving it benefit of the doubt, some of the, incons- well, we didn't know the dream sequences were inconsistent until this twist. Like, everything yeah. felt, you know, pretty solid as far as the logic of the movie up until this twist where it, I almost feel like the ending, not to cut you off on describing the ending, but like this is where it lost me because it just felt like it fit a different movie than what we had just been watching for the past hour and 20 right. minutes. One thing I do want to say is that at one point uh, the landlady says to Ellie, you look like you've had a fright. She, this woman has been running around the streets screaming for an hour and 20 minutes. She's looked like she's had a fright for the past nine months. Right. But just today. Uh, but uh, it is revealed that the landlady is Sandy, that she killed a bunch of men, and she did kill her pimp, the Matt Smith character, and now she has poisoned Ellie uh, so that she can't tell anybody of these decades-old murders. Um, and we get we get... Poor old John coming into the house at the wrong moment. He gets stabbed. And he immediately gets stabbed and he's immediately like, oh, Ellie, are you okay? <laughs> That's true. Like, he doesn't even go, uh, forget about this wound. How's Ellie? <laughs> yeah. I'll be fine. Yeah. And so, but then the house uh, catches on fire. Ellie is poisoned, but then, like, I don't know. I. Did they solve the poison somehow, or did they just kind of like? I think it was just she was drugged, like paralyzed. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see. I thought that was a a murderous intent. My mistake. I think she was going to kill her, but the she was paralyzing her first, so she couldn't like escape. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Well, while the house is burning, um, Sandy kind of realized that she's not going to escape. Um, It seems as though maybe she wants to escape the life that she's living. and then we flash forward. This is what I really... I thought it was okay in the moment, but then when I thought about it, we flash forward. Ellie has a very successful fashion show. And everyone's like just cool. They've forgiven the, the almost stabbing of another student. And all this... <laughs> And she also appears at the scene of a police officer's death. And well, before before even all that, I just love the fact that she's like, "I'm gonna kill you, so you don't talk." And then she gets to the top of the stairs. She's like, "Okay, never mind." Well, well so what, isn't what stops her? She sees we Jack's didn't even talk ghost. about the ghosts talking either. Oh yes, I please thank you for reminding me about the ghosts talking. <laughs> so Ellie gets up to the the bedroom. All the ghosts start like. Their hands come out of the floor. They're holding her down. She's reaching for the floor. Ah, the phone! She's reaching for the phone. And then one ghost who, like, didn't get the memo, like, walks out of the closet. And he's like, oh, I think she wants the phone. So he, like, picks up the phone (laughs) and is, like, handing it to her. If the ghost wanted her to get on the phone, then why did they hold her down for ten minutes? Get on the same page, ghosts. Why is he giving her the phone and then being like, kill her (laughs) by calling someone? (laughs) So he was like, help. Like, if if they can come back to the physical world, why can't they talk comprehensively? Why do they have to, like, struggle to talk? Well, Jack's ghost talks, right, to her. He smacks her (laughs) at the end. No, remember, the the ghost comes back to, to Sandy. 
he sees her she sees jack oh right in the bedroom and then he Ooh. slaps her i just don't know why that that one ghost I'll... also was ellie supposed to be i know it was in ellie's interest at that point but was she supposed to be sympathizing with these illicit men all <laughs> yeah, one of the several reasons why the ending just kind of just fell apart well that's what was weird though like help us like kill her and then she's like i understand why you killed them like so what's the point of the help us? yeah so th- this leads me to the very end is that she has the successful fashion show all is forgiven everyone's impressed even jacosta's like i you got something good job and then in the mirror she sees first her her mother who has passed um but then she sees the young version of sandy again and i'm i wasn't sure if this was meant to be like a thrilling moment a scary moment or it was like okay now we're friends now like i I was also curious (laughs) Mm, yeah that wasn't clear do you guys leaning anyway so I thought when it first showed up, she was going to be like, oh my god, like I'm still stuck with this. But then she's just like, <laughs> Yeah, that was the move. Well, that that was the callback to the to the beginning of the movie. I get it, but was she just like, yeah, I have a new friend. That's, yeah, that's, and Sandy. I don't know, maybe it's supposed to be ambiguous, but. So did Sandy kill her mom? Is that what happened? I don't think so. <laughs> is it? Is it, I think it's supposed to be like she's she's now saved Sandy, so Sandy can stay in the state of like when she mir- was in happy. the mirror realm. Yeah, oh. like the part of her life that was good. I guess <laughs> that's how I interpreted it. But yeah, I thought it was supposed to be like a a, a thriller like ending, like oh no, it's her again. But nope. <laughs> yeah, because the Sandy. The young Sandy never did anything to Ellie, so I don't. I think maybe it was like, oh, Sandy's at peace now. I think that, yeah, probably maybe, what it was. Maybe. Which I mean, good for Sandy. I just, if you're finally at peace, you're gonna be looking at Ellie, the person you tried to poison in the mirror. She came back and she's like, "What the hell? Your fashion is just what I'm wearing. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you taking credit for this? I want royalties." <laughs> she just recreated something from the '60s. Yeah. I just, I have to mention this. I, I really do. This is two movies within a couple of months where one character asks another character if they believe in ghosts and the person just can't comprehend <laughs> just it. He, here are the two. One is the night house. I think we already talked about this. Did where you about that scene though? Uh, we may have. Rebecca Hall is with her colleagues around a table and she's like, you guys believe in ghosts? Pretty simple question. And one of the, her colleagues go, Ghost like how? I don't like. I don't, it's yes or no. Wow. Do you believe in ghosts? Ghosts like. And then Ellie in Last Night in Soho. Ellie is talking to her employer at the bar, and she's like, "Oh, do you believe in spirits?" She's like, "What do you mean? <laughs> like, like, like the drink? Yeah. Yeah. She also thought she meant drinks. Like, what does oh, that mean? Okay. Do you believe in spirits? Ah, oh, that's what keeps the bar running. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. What? I just like movie characters. I'm talking to you. Please, when somebody asks you if you if you believe in phantasms, phantoms, ghosts, spirits, ghouls, and goblins, just answer yes or no. There's no there's no need for for clarification. I need to write a movie where it's like you believe in ghosts. They're like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> write it. Write it down. We got it. We got to work on that. A, a world in which nobody has ever even thought of the idea of ghosts. 
And then Casper shows up. You know, I feel that way every zombie movie where they don't call the zombies zombies. Like, yeah, they just never heard of them. They, don't, they have no idea what these are. Yeah, biters. <laughs> these walkers are coming at me. Oh, I think it would have been much more entertaining if the mom had been in the mirror in the end and then just like Casper had been in the mirror. Because <laughs> at least Casper has a friendly smile and will offer you a cookie or something like that. Uh. All right, would you guys recommend this movie to people? Oh, for sure. I, I mean, despite its flaws, I do think it was a solid watch at least once. It's it's worth seeing. Yeah, I agree. Definitely worth seeing and definitely worth deciding for yourself. I would definitely recommend it, especially if you're a fan of Edgar Wright's films. All right, excellent. Yes, it does. it does have that wonderful style. Okay, we move now to Scott Cooper's new movie, Antlers. This is based on the short story The Quiet Boy by Nick Antosca. It is directed by Scott Cooper. It is written by C. Henry Chazon, Nick Antosca, and Scott Cooper. From Google, this is about a small-town Oregon teacher and her brother, the local sheriff, who discover that a young student is harboring a dangerous secret with frightening consequences. So... Tyler, tell me, what was your experience of Antlers like? I really enjoyed it. I thought it was definitely uh, pretty scary. Um, I think it, I, I, I talked to you guys about this. I think the Wendigo has been overdone in the last few years, but I really think this was like the scariest actually portrayal of one I've seen. That genuinely like, just looking at it was like, wow, that's freaky. But um, I really love the setting, uh, the Pacific Northwest, the beautiful shots um, juxtaposed with kind of like the you know, like the run-down living condition of the right. child's house. But um, I, I enjoyed it. I think it actually had an emotional ending, which I was shocked. Like the, I mean, we'll talk about it later when we get to that. But I was genuinely, you know, in, interested in the ending. So it held my attention throughout, and I really enjoyed it. Matt? Um, I will agree. It was definitely one of the best horror movies out so far this year. Um, I, yeah. I was pretty, uh, I was pretty on the edge of my seat for a lot of it. I w- will say it, it took a little bit for it to get going for me, but once it did, it had me hooked. Um, the direction was great. Cinematography, like Tyler said, a lot of the shots of like the Pacific Northwest were just beautiful shots. Like context of the movie aside, like just great, great uh, cinematography. The special effects were top notch. The monster effects were top notch. And I would expect nothing less from anything that Guillermo del Toro is involved with. Um, it was I thought it was well acted. Jesse Plemons, Carrie Russell were both great. Um, even Jeremy T. Thomas, who played the the boy Lucas, did a really good job in his role. Um, without going too much further into the plot overall, I'd say I enjoyed it. Yeah. I do want to give some some credit to the story, The Quiet Boy, by Nick Antosca. Um, it's hard to scare people in the movies. I would say it's even harder uh, to scare people while they're reading. But this is a really creepy story, especially in its first half. Um, and there are a lot of deviations between story and movie, which I actually always like to see. Um, but this, this movie, um, it's really good. It's really atmospheric. It's so creepy and... What I like about it is it's not, I wouldn't call it a terrifying film, 
but I didn't really care because the story was so absorbing. I do want to give a big shout out to Jeremy T. Thomas, who does play Lucas, who is the main boy. He is brooding. He is haunting. Um, he is just doing a fantastic job. Uh, so very excited to see him uh, in the future. Carrie Russell and Jesse Plemons are absolutely killing it here. Um, they're both doing so good at kind of like keeping things under the surface um, and trying not to let them come out. Always good to see Graham Greene. I have to say Graham Greene underutilized in this movie. Mm -hmm. Whenever you get Graham Greene, you got to use him. Um, and I, I, I didn't see him quite enough. Um, and I also thought Rory Cochran, uh, as as the partner of Jesse Plemons, was like, I don't know, a little overqualified for this role. He didn't really get that many lines. <laughs> and I'm like, true. oh, I, you got you to gotta give him a little more. Um, and I do want to give, uh, I'm confounded by this part, uh, but I have to mention. Spoiler warning, if you have not seen the following movie. Please turn back or accept the consequences. Sock monkey humper. And I had to, I really had to wonder, was he written in the script? Was he called sock monkey humper? Because that is his initial action in the movie. He, during class, calls to Lucas and then makes a face and humps a sock monkey. And I'm just like, were his parents proud of him for doing such a good job humping the sock monkey? What was the direction given to him? Was that written into the script or was it improvised? Did yeah, he I mean, he did a callback to it later when he humped the air. Yeah. <laughs> did he just see a sock monkey on set and he had an inspired choice? I was just very, very confounded. He's a bully. That's what bullies do. He's a bad, bad kid. We're supposed to know he's a bad... A bully kid in bad. This, this movie was written by a Seattle resident, and it just wanted to show <laughs> Oregon residents yeah. degenerates. And I like, I just, I'm gonna say it now. The real victim of the movie was the mm -hmm. sock monkey. The sock monkey did not deserve that. Didn't deserve any of Didn't it. deserve later on when Lucas cuts its head off in the bedroom. The sock <laughs> monkey took a a beating that it did not deserve. Uh, so R.I.P. Sock Monkey. The, the worst, the worst treated uh, stuffed animal since uh, No Time to Die. <laughs> yes, dude. All right, I was you know what? Justice for Dudu. Okay, the 2021 has been unkind to stuffed animals, and I'm tired of it. All right, enough. Sock Monkey and Dudu, hopefully together in heaven. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh. But yes, this the, uh, this is. An excellent movie besides the sock monkey humping. Uh, it, it's very, it's one of those that it, it's a great slow build. We know from the beginning that Lucas's home life is, is fraught and there's something wrong. They don't shy away from that, which I think is good. It's one of those, I don't like it too much when a thriller kind of holds its secrets for too long. And they, they kind of, there isn't much to fill the beginning because they're holding everything. Um, but this one really does a good job of creating suspense throughout. And we even have um, this sort of developed plot line around Carrie Russell becoming a teacher and moving back in with her brother, Jesse Plemons, who is the sheriff of the town in their childhood home, where we learn that both of them were abused um, by their father. Um, it was a theme that I really didn't think kind of fully played out, maybe as it should have. Um, 
but I think both of them used the material to their advantage um, and, and really drew me in at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do want to give a, another content warning. Um, if you are somebody who does not want to see a nude father crying on a bed, clutching a then, teddy bear, clutching a teddy bear, then I would not. Is that another stuffed animal casualty? It, it, yes, it Absolutely. definitely was. <laughs> yes. And if it wasn't, then that stuffed animal definitely wanted to be. Uh, <laughs> but yes, it, maybe close your eyes during that scene. Uh, but oh, I was, go ahead. I was going to say, without getting too spoilery, I do agree with you there uh, that the fact that they grew up with abuse was kind of glossed over in this movie for the sake of, well, I'm not, I'm not going to get too much into it, but I do agree with you on that, that it was kind of underdeveloped. It was, under, they had a couple of good scenes about a couple of good conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately I just don't know how it really connected. Um, so I think we will kind of move into some, some spoiler territory now for antlers. Uh, and this part really excited me is that we learn so Lucas's father has been sick and locked up in the base in the attic the whole time. And we learn that it is because he has been infected, I, I guess would be an okay word, by a Wendigo. How did you guys react to the appearance of that kind of creature? To the Wendigo itself? Yeah, just knowing that he was a Wendigo, finding out. I mean I like I said, I was like my response at first was, Oh, it's a Wendigo story. Oh, I'm <laughs> but, sorry. I forgot you just have Wendigos in your backyard, so yeah. it's an everyday occurrence <laughs> no, for you. But, but no, I mean, I, I think they did it really well, um, seeing kind of like the, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the degradation of him in his condition, yeah. and then uh, with the shot when it, like, with the antlers burst, uh, that was gnarly as hell. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, then they find the, the like the body. Oh, <laughs> so yeah, it was really freakish how they did it, and I thought it was really effective, really unnerving. I, I agree completely. I think the like the special effects and the mon- the monster scenes, like, like with that scene, that was that was incredibly well done. It was horrifying and definitely not for, not for the faint of heart. Yeah. Um, I like it when the when he turned towards the end and he had the face. Oh yeah, on it the peeled off face. That was, that was I was like, oh jeez. <laughs> yeah, there's such growing tension in this movie. You know, things citizens start to get ripped apart. All this kind of stuff. The principal of Lucas's school for some reason enters his home and like not only enters his home but like there's a. A door that's bolted 18 times and she's like well i guess i better do undo all of these 18 bolts well it's because she hears the little brother crying yeah but the worst part is she opens the door and just sees blood everywhere and her instinct is i'm gonna go upstairs and check on that i'd be running out calling the cops or something right calling somebody (laughs) yeah but what were the cops even doing in this movie so it brings me to a, a theme that I thought was really well done in this movie. It was like the failure of systems, like in the face of immediate unknown dangers. Um, Jesse Plemons is the sheriff of this small town. And anytime anything goes wrong, it's very like, okay, we'll check it out. Okay, we'll take care of it. We'll go back to the station. And there's one scene where he really acts his butt off. Um, 
where they get this huge development, something horrible has gone wrong, and his partner is asking him, like, I don't, this is, we've never experienced this before. This is a supernatural, terrible, crazy event. And he's like, you can see the cognitive dissonance on his face. And he's like, uh, we, you know, we'll, we'll go to the station and we'll work things out. I thought that was really well acted. I think that was really, um, really well thought out in the movie is, you know, the way that the systems that we set up cannot always respond um, to certain situations in a timely and appropriate manner. How did you guys feel, I'll say, from the point where the Wendigo attacks in the, the shed on? Did you guys think that that was good action? I, um, of all of, of the action scenes I did like during that movie, um, I thought that, I, well, actually, I guess that was the better of the action sequences in that movie. But I, th- I thought it was kind of repetitive. I mean, it, it's weird because it was repetitive. Like, first, the Wendigo got in and killed the first o- the first officer, you know, came up behind him, stabbed him, whatever. And then and then yeah. Jesse Plemons' character, the sheriff, comes up behind him. I'm like, there's no way that they're going to do that, that it's going to do that again, come up behind him and stab him again. Yeah. And then he does. And, you know, it was repetitive, but it was effective and, despite being repetitive. I thought it, it was a a good repetitive because the it wasn't like the exact same thing happened to Plemons's character. Right. I, I mean, I again, I think I think it almost loved because you're so used to horror movies that are like trying to throw all these different creative kills at you. Um, yeah, the people aren't expecting it to do the same thing twice, <laughs> but right. it does. Well, my, I have a question about that. Did she not hear like two men getting gored by a giant? creature with antlers yeah in the second part he destroyed the shed she didn't hear the yeah. shed like exploding and she just walked out like you guys okay yeah hey, <laughs> and then when she was walking up to the shed i'm like can you please not have her be attacked from behind the third person please <laughs> yeah, i was glad that didn't, that would have been ridiculous but yeah. i do think it was effective and the jump scare actually got me it was when he's in the after he got attacked and he's in the shed and he's crawling oh, up yeah. the wall and then it goes through the wall that i was yeah. expecting yeah, that was. I thought it was a well done scene, uh, and so then we move to like this inner cave, which is where the Wendigo first appears in the beginning of the movie. Um, Lucas and his little brother are there. Lucas is trying to save the little brother, and I just want to take a, a brief moment of silence for mm-hmm. that bear, um, who was not doing anything wrong. Was probably in fact picking up litter for for the county, um, and just got eaten by a Wendigo. So. I'm sorry to that bear, but we get this, yeah, pour one out for the bear. (laughs) We get this fight scene between Carrie Russell and the Wendigo. The Wendigo didn't seem like it put up much of a fight. I thought the effective part was when she's in the dark and just kind of firing off the shots. I thought that was cool. Yeah. Um, but then the, 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 when she lit the flare up and the Wendigo was like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I was like, I, was like well, I kind of lost all, like, uh, <laughs> the fear it had. is kind of mm-hmm, just right. like, oh, light, slight fire. I can't go past that. Yeah, that was definitely the lesser of the effective Wendigo scenes in that movie, where at least of the ones that, like, full on, like, the Wendigo's out and about living its best life. Well, I to this movie's credit, because uh, I want to compliment it, I did really enjoy mm-hmm. this movie. That that sort of like, I don't want to say anticlimactic, but sort of the unexpected mm-hmm. mutedness of the action didn't ruin the scene for me or the movie or anything like that. Uh, we do get Lucas coming in clutch at the end with 
like the Aria stamp. Yeah. <laughs> and then she she cuts out the Wendigo's heart, and then really like tough way to end this one where she has to put down oh, yeah. a crying child. Yeah. I don't. That was and that's really... what I meant by the genuinely emotional ending. Like with that kid, um, well, who played um, Lucas? Lucas is Jeremy T. Yeah. Thomas. Okay, he uh, insanely effective. Like just throughout the movie, like his whole yeah. arc is is incredible. But oh my god, when he's like pleading, like oh no, he'll get better. Like that was just genuinely right. heartbreaking. Yeah, he just, you you knew that he knew it, but he didn't want to believe yeah, it. Yeah, I mean he, it's he... his brother. Yeah, like yeah. He's, and like look at I mean this kid stepped up to protect his father and his brother yeah, when they were right. like fought. Like he literally would go up and get food for them and stuff. So like he was he trying everything just to save them. Another great thing about this was that um, the father was also trying to protect them. He knew that something was wrong with him, so he locked himself um, yeah. in the attic. Ultimately, couldn't save them from himself. But I thought that was another interesting, another interesting layer. This movie is very much about how families are there for each other, but fail to be there for each other, um, even when they're trying. I have to admit, though, that emo- it was an emotional scene and it was well done. But I, I think just the anti-clam climax of the defeat of the big wendigo really kind of took me out of the movie for a bit oh. and it kind of and it kind of lingered when that scene was happening so where it wasn't yeah. as effective to me as it could have been yeah i i can see that i i still liked it but then we get this um this sort of epilogue scene we learned earlier that um, when the spirit, the spirit of the Wendigo enters a host body, and that when that host body is killed, it will just move to another. Uh, so what we are assuming is that it will now enter Lucas, who has had contact with the father and all this kind of stuff. So we have uh, Carrie Russell, Jesse Plemons, and Lucas uh, down by the shore. And so I'm going to ask you guys a question about this because the sheriff does describe Lucas as. He's like, what are we going to do with him? It's like raising a tiger cub. You know what it's going to grow up to be. Was he suggesting that they put down Lucas? Well, he did say, he's like, can you kill something you love? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think 100% he was thinking they were going to have to kill him. Yeah. yeah. Well, then, twist, and obviously we're way into spoilers territories now, turns out that the sheriff is the one who's going to become the next Wendigo. Which I, I would watch a sequel, them dealing with that. I just want the Wendigo to be Jesse Plemons. Like, not change it. Just with antlers. Just his, yeah. <laughs> He's like, rah, 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 okay. Speaking yeah. of Jesse Plemons, Fargo season two. Everyone needs to watch it. Jesse Plemons, my favorite role. Okay. Or Breaking Bad. He was pretty good in that for what he did. Although he was a scumbag. He will, but he's uh, he's always so good. He's got the um, he's got the power of the dog later this year, which is currently a best picture front runner. I'm not sure. I haven't seen it, so I don't know how good it is. But um, you can see them see him in that as well, directed by Jane Campion, who is amazing. Uh, I don't, would the sequel to Antlers be called More Antlers or Antlers Two? Antlers Two, Electric Boogaloo. Antlers Two, yeah, Rise of the Silver Surfer. <laughs> It's just even more antlers with the question. Yeah. <laughs> Oops, all antlers. <laughs> I, 
Either way, I want a sequel. I really much enjoyed this. I would definitely uh, recommend it. It's well made. Um, it's 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 creepy and it's it's pretty fun too. And the acting is is superb. Uh, would you guys recommend this movie? I absolutely would. Um, if you're a horror movie, um, any fan of suspenseful films, definitely, it's definitely a good movie, and I would recommend it. For sure, for sure, I agree. Um, I would definitely recommend it. I think there was way more good than than not in this movie. Um, I will say, I part of what took away from it, and Tyler knows this already, because I that was the first thing I told him when I got out of the theater. I'm like, I had to, <laughs> I had to go to the bathroom so bad, like halfway through. But we were, I was too invested to like leave the theater, and I was a little I, I was a little distracted by that. So I think I I wouldn't. Well, you could have missed the uh, you could have missed nude crying dad. So uh, maybe you should have gone to the bathroom. Maybe I should have nude crying dad. I you made a good point about that, Mike, when we were talking about it, and that the scene on the piano where he's like coming right. and feeling up, it portrayed that like it we was got enough that information. We didn't need yeah. to, like, you didn't need to hire a man to say hey. Could you cry nude on a bed for this film? And he went, yeah, I could do that. It, him and Sock Monkey Humper just really had tough casting calls. I got a question for you, Mike. Okay. Where does this rank on your Oregon-based uh, set of Oregon set films this year? Of 2021? Of 2021. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I would say that Pig is... Well, yeah, I don't want to play that game. You know what? Both Pig and Antlers... Listen, here's the thing. We don't need to compare movies. I mean, sometimes we do, but we just got to appreciate every piece of art as though it's its own thing. Um, and Except when they're both based in Portland. Or not Portland. Well, Oregon. At, at least they're not based in Seattle. <laughs> Nick Cage would not be happy about that. You, so, you sound like Bruce Willis and Terry Morgan because that was a cop-out. Were they in Seattle? No, they were in a movie called Cop-Out. Oh, I understand that. Was that based in no. Seattle? No, he's just saying that was oh. a cop-out. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. I'm very... Was that Was that Kevin it was. Smith? It was Not Kevin a very good Smith. Kevin Smith at that time. I remember watching three seconds of that. And that was three seconds in, too much. Would that pair every headline a movie now, Tracy Morgan and Bruce Willis? Absolutely no. not. I mean, I enjoy them both. I just... that I don't know. Just That would be... Interesting to see in 2021. Does Bruce Willis have any good roles coming up? I feel like he's just in trash lately. Um, I, unless he works with Wes Anderson again, but I think he does not want to do that he, or something. He's like going that. the way of Clint Eastwood. <laughs> At Which least is... Clint Eastwood's getting like theatrical releases. Bruce Willis is in like direct to DVD like sci fi movies True. that look hey, awful. What, whatever makes Bruce happy. <laughs> Fair enough. Speaking, Matt, you mentioned this before. Uh, Guillermo del Toro did produce this and I just want to ask everybody if you can go see Nightmare Alley it looks super cool Um, I love Guillermo del Toro uh, and I just please support his movie so that he can keep making them are we doing that for the pod? I would love to yeah I'm down and you guys can tell us if you would like us too. Let me give you our, our info. Please write into us at silverscreensaverspod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at screensaverspod. Facebook, Silver Screen Savers Podcast. Matt, where can we find you? All right. So I'm at Maddie, M A T T Y X Sturds, S T U R D Z. Um, that's on Instagram, Twitter. Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. 
Tyler. Uh, you can find me at uh, Instagram and Twitter at Tyler uh, Sutkus, S-U-T-K-U-S. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter. It's Michael underscore Gallat, G-A-L-A-T, and letterboxed M Gallat. Well, thank you so much for listening. Uh, next time we will be discussing Eternals. We're going to have some couples therapy with Matt and Chloe Zhao, see if uh, she can win him back. <laughs> I, I am super excited to see that movie. I'm super excited to hear what you guys think. So we will see you next time. I still want to love you, Chloe. <laughs> Glad you're working it out. Silver Screen Savers podcast was co-created, written, hosted, and produced by Michael Gallant. Tower Sukkis and Matt Sturdivant, with additional editing by Matt Sturdivant, intro music by Charles Michelle via Pixabay, logo design by Nathan Seidel.